Uh, well, I've been given these next uh, two weeks with you, so I thought we'd, we'd look at a couple of songs. Uh, songs for troubled hearts. Uh, this week, uh, what to sing when the world's gone mad. Uh, you may have a little handout near you on that sheet that Gareth mentioned. If that's helpful, if you like taking notes, and please use it. And having Psalm 113 uh, open in front of you would be great. Uh, apparently, with my Scottish accent, I say Sam funny. Um, you just need to get used to it, because when I try at Lighthouse to say it in a more English way, it sounds worse. So, Sam 113 is what we're looking at uh, tonight. Um, I've been thinking about music over the, the past couple of days as I've prepared, and I remembered where um, I put my old record collection. Um, I, I found it, uh, and I found a couple of I found a couple of albums. I actually found. I came across, now that's what I call music, the original one, not like now 56, now that's what I call, it wasn't even called now one, I guess they didn't know they were going to do a number two, apparently it cost me £1.50, I think I got it from a second hand shop, all the greats uh, are, are on there, there's Duran Duran, Heaven 17, Kajagoogoo, yeah, fantastic music, and I, I came across as well, the first album I ever bought, I wonder if, I, if we went around and I'm not going to, obviously, you think about the first, it's vinyl as well. Some of you probably weren't born when vinyl was around. Uh, that, that's what it looked like. It's not like a CD. So, um, the first album I bought in 1980, uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants. I just thought he was the coolest person around. Um, now, of course, I know that's Gareth uh, over there, but it, <laughs> it brought back memories, uh, all that kind of music. Nobody really buys albums anymore, do they? Uh, you just download songs onto your iPod, and you make up your own playlist. Uh, if you don't know that, you, you get all your songs that you've downloaded, and you arrange them in your own kind of playlist. Songs for you to sing along with. Uh, songs for driving. I'm sure some of you have certain uh, things that you put on when you're driving. Songs for when you're happy uh, or you're sad. Uh, songs when you're feeling maybe a bit lonely uh, that you put on. Uh, songs for when you need to chill out. Uh, songs can help give words to how we're feeling, can't they? Or they can even lift your spirits. Uh, whether you're a Bridget Jones singing All By Myself, uh, a Gloria Gaynor singing I Will Survive, or an optimistic England fan singing Football's Coming Home, <laughs> even though it seems to have got lost on the way. Um, <laughs> But here's the question for tonight. What, what do you sing? What do you sing when the world's gone mad? See, I've been wondering about Kate Middleton. I've been wondering what uh, she's been singing along to. Her relationship with Prince William at an end. If the press are to be believed, some think her family weren't a suitable match for royalty. Uh, apparently, friends of the royals laughed behind their back. Her family said, toilet instead of lavatory. It seems mad. And do you wonder if there are any songs that would be even remotely appropriate to sing for the family of Professor Librescu? He was a teacher at Virginia Tech. Hearing gunshots, he blocked the entrance to his classroom while his students climbed out the window. He was shot while they escaped. One student wrote to his wife the next day, and she wrote this. I saw your husband still standing there. He was holding the door closed and was looking over his shoulder to make sure everybody else was safe. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen. See, what can you sing when the world's gone mad? And what about you? When you look at the world or even at your own life and everything just seems mad. 
And when you feel angry or distraught with the situation you find yourself in. Well, this little Sam says, here's something that should always be top of our playlist. A song we should always be singing along to. It's the kind of thing, as we look at it again, that if you're a Christian, you kind of know should be right. It's just that it sometimes doesn't feel right. It doesn't quite seem appropriate given the situation. And it's simply this, the first thing on your handout, is simply this, praise the Lord all the time. It's all over those first three verses, isn't it? Uh, Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. That's any time, isn't it? Uh, From the rising of the sun to the place where it says, well, that's anywhere. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Any time, any place, anywhere, uh, this song is appropriate. And it doesn't give any exceptions, does it? It doesn't say, well, except when your heart's been broken. Except when another tragedy hits the news. Except when you're finding things tough. No, our writer doesn't give any exceptions. He's fairly confident, isn't he? And statements like his aren't academic. They raise profoundly difficult questions because it's one thing, isn't it, to say praise the Lord all the time when life experience at the moment has involved gap years in South America or shopping trips to London. But it's quite another when the diagnosis you were afraid of comes true or the relationship you've hoped for seems to have been put out of reach forever or yet another disaster on the news finally pierces our thick skins And you find yourself saying, it's all gone mad. Praise the Lord. All the time. It doesn't get under your skin a little bit. Uh, Don't you sometimes feel God asks for a bit too much? I find the opening verses of this psalm prod away at my superficial Christian answers. See, because they keep asking if I believe you can praise God all the time. And, and as I think about how upsetting and mad the world can be, I sometimes hear myself say, I'm not sure I do believe that. And before I know it, it's popped out of me. Now, what was tucked away in my troubled heart, the suspicion that God doesn't deserve my praise all the time. It's good to be honest, isn't it? Because it helps us be serious about listening to the answers. And the writer of this psalm has some answers. He gives us two reasons why we can keep singing, even with troubled hearts. And here's the first one. And it's this. God is unique and in control. Being Scottish, I always like to look for a bargain. I don't really want to spend more money than I have to on any occasion. I've actually got friends in Fullwood who cook with something called passata. You come across that? Passata. Uh, It's like posh chopped tomatoes. Um, As for me, I bet most of you use it as well, don't you? As for me, I think Tesco value chopped tomatoes are fine. And that's my approach with most things. Get the basic stuff, the value stuff, except with cornflakes. You don't want to mess around with cornflakes, do you? 
it's got to be Kellogg's, hasn't it? Uh, They are the best. Nothing compares with them. They ran an advertising campaign a number of years ago. I think it was to encourage more adults to start eating them. And the strap line was something like this. Kellogg's cornflakes. Have you forgotten how good they are? I hadn't. I hadn't at all. (laughs) I was able to sit and enjoy that advert and say, no, I haven't. I've never wavered. I've never wavered in my conviction that Kellogg's cornflakes are in a class of their own to the point where you are now bizarrely having to sit there and listen to me sing their praises. Now please forgive the slightly tenuous link because that's what it is from from cornflakes to the God of the Bible but I think our psalmist I think our psalmist would be asking a similar question about us and God. Have you forgotten what he's like? Because if you feel even remotely uncertain about praising him, then you either don't know him yet, you're here and you're not really a Christian yet. Maybe you're on the way but you're not sure. You're maybe not quite there as a Christian. Or if you are a Christian and you feel like that, then you're probably needing the encouragement of being reminded what God is like. That God is unique and in control. That's verses 4 to 6, isn't it? And God is pictured as sitting down in verse 5. He's pictured as sitting down and he's sitting on a throne. He's enthroned. He's the king. And the rhetorical question rings out, who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high? It's rhetorical, but we know the answer. It's, it's no one. There's no one like him. He's unique and he's in control. He's on the throne. I'm not brilliant with uh, poetry. I sometimes get a bit lost in the, the flowery language. And this is a piece of poetry that we're looking at. And I, but occasionally I get it, though. The imagery in poetry paints a picture that makes something clearer to me, even to me. And I found that with this psalm. I see, because the writer wants to paint a picture for us with his words. You, you see what he tells us about God in verse 4. He says this about God. He is exalted over all the nations. And in case we ask, well, just how high is he? With a touch of poetic flair, he says in verse 6, he has to stoop down to look on the heavens and the earth. It's quite an image, isn't it? God is, is so big, he's so high, so exalted, it's almost as if, if he wanted to even have a look at the heavens, never mind the earth, he'd need to get down on his hands and knees and strain to have a look. Where is it? That's how high he is. See, compared with him, everything is tiny. And compared with him, everything else is, is weak. And nothing is strong compared with him. So no matter what you think about the state of affairs in the world or your life, this big God says he's still on the throne. It begs the question then, doesn't it, though? Well, why does he allow really sad things to happen? The Bible will answer some of those questions, but but not here. See, our psalmist doesn't try and answer those questions here. He, He just wants to remind us, God is unique. And he is in control. Don't you just want that reassurance sometimes? Do you know what I mean? When when you're faced with life's sadness... Left with questions you feel unable to answer, facing situations in which you feel increasingly out of control, don't you want to hear someone say, I'll sort it out. I've got it under control. 
See, this is a truth that doesn't answer all our why questions. It's a truth that encourages by asking us to be humble and trust. Even when, at life, even when life at times seems unfair and sad beyond measure. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. Um, we know we, most of us have had some kind of Easter holiday. I went on holiday with my friend Jim and his family over Easter. We were messing around, great fun. Jim said to me, as he has said on more than one occasion, can I rugby tackle you? My heart sinks at times like that uh, because Jim is about ten times stronger than me. It's just in no way a fair fight. It's useless to resist. He's going to do it anyway. It's, it's very humbling to be just smacked down, grabbed, and, and there you go. But he seems to like it. it <laughs> um, you just have to stand and take it. It is very humbling for me. I think that there's no point in even trying to, to fight against it or just get it over and done with. Uh, but here's the thing. I find that even though I'm knocked about, there's never any lasting damage done. It's funny how someone that strong can manage to handle you in a way that's still safe. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you're around people who are really strong, even though it feels like you're going to be knocked about. They they manage to do it in a way that's still safe. Now, it's a poor illustration. I don't know what your particular situation is. You may feel that you're being knocked about just now. Psalm 113 says, The God of the Bible is strong enough to keep you safe so that in the life to come there will be no lasting damage. He is strong enough. It might be that you feel angry or disappointed with God. Can I encourage you this week to remember He is in control. And in light of that, even if you don't get all the why answers, humble yourself and praise Him. Well, the psalmist wants to give us another reason why we can praise God all the time. And it's this. He's in control and he is good. It seems that he wants us to remember what God likes to do with all of his power. What's in the heart of the controller of the universe? What makes him tick? What does he he look forward to doing? It's an interesting question, isn't it? It's the question that drove the Jim Carrey film, Bruce Almighty, that was out a few years back. If you had all of God's power as Bruce gets in the film, what would you think about doing? There's a thought, isn't it? If you had all of God's power, what would you think about doing? I'd think about a rematch at rugby with my friend Jim, uh, and after that, well, I'm not going to tell you. But much more interesting is, is what about God? And what does he think about doing? Well, that's verses 7 to 9, isn't it? You just have a look at what God thinks about with all of his power. He thinks about poor people who are treated like rubbish. Verse 7. He thinks about, well, he thinks about women heartbroken about not being able to have children. Verse 9. And now remember, this is a piece of poetry. Our imagination is being fueled in a few short verses uh, to think about those situations in life where people either feel or are treated like rubbish. People who are in real and desperate need and, and people who through life circumstances are just desperately sad, disappointed, feeling like because of what's happened they can't imagine feeling happy again. Uh, this God thinks about them. 
this God, this king on the throne who's in control of everything, what does he like to do? Well, he likes to turn things around for them. See, the poor are raised up and they get a seat with princes, verse 8. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Being British, I count myself in that, I'm not just Scottish, being British as together, we, we have a strong sense of fairness, don't we? We like things to be fair. Everyone's to be treated fairly. And I don't want to say that that's ungodly. It's just that it doesn't seem to go far enough for God. He doesn't just want to treat people fairly. He wants to turn things round so that his suffering people are treated like royalty, like princes. Actually, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? You kind of read between the lines because if, if God is the king and he treats them like royalty, well, you see, that means he's making them family. Kate Middleton uh, might not be wanted by a prince of England. She may not be, uh, might not have been thought appropriate to be part of the royal family. I don't know how you feel about that. I think our, our emotions sometimes get going when we hear stories like that. Not really because we care about Kate Middleton. Maybe we do, but I think for some of us it's because we harbour this suspicion that we're the kind of people also who will probably be rejected. We're the kind of people who probably wouldn't be wanted in the right circles. Well, listen to this. Psalm 113 says, you are wanted by the king of creation. And he wants to welcome you into his family. And for the sad and disappointed, he wants to turn things round to make them happy and fulfilled. That's what the God of the Bible is like. Don't you just sometimes want to be reminded of it? Even if you're Christian and you sit there and think, oh, I know that. Don't you sometimes need someone to tell you these truths again? That's what our psalmist wants to do for us. Tell us that God is in control. And that he is good. The one who is king over the whole world doesn't just stoop down to look on the earth. No, when he stoops down, he raises the poor from the dust. And he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. And look, you can say, well, what's this all about? There are still plenty of people who suffer. There are plenty of people who are sad and distressed. You know that. I know that. Look, the the psalmist knew that. But there were hints all through the Old Testament that God was into turning things round for good. Israel. Slaves in Egypt. God turned it round, took these people from the ash heap, and he treated them like royalty. Sarah. Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, women in the Old Testament who seemed incapable of having children, and God turned it around. They had families. Well, that didn't happen for everyone, but they were, if you like, little hints that one day God would finally stoop down and do something so that he could turn around all this suffering and sadness that's been caused by sin. And it's not until we come to Jesus that we discover what Psalm 113 was pointing towards. Well, Jesus' own words explain it in John 3.16. It's on your handout there when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's there. In him we see what it meant for God the King to stoop down to help us. 
As some of you will know that it was my mum's funeral a few weeks ago. And you kind of think, well, being at a funeral, like I imagine many of you have been, and do we start to think, well, here's the final evidence that God is powerless to turn things around? Well, not a bit of it. Because here, in fact, is the final explanation of what it meant for the king to stoop down. Here's the final proof of this king's power and his goodness. At Psalm 113, it's almost, it's almost like a shadow that has been cast from our second reading. In Psalm 113, we get a, a sense of the shape of God's plans, but in, in 1 Thessalonians, we can marvel at the reality if you can do, just, just turn back over to 1 Thessalonians. Let me see if I can tell you what page it is. I think it's 1,188. If Psalm 113 is, is like a shadow that gives us a sense of the shape of God's plans, 1 Thessalonians... Uh, we can marvel at the reality. Paul writing to grieving Christians in verse 13, and he says this, Brothers, we do not want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then down in verse 18, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. God stooped down in Jesus, came into a world that ignores and rejects him, a world where the consequences of sin ends in death, and he faced death, defeated it, and rose again. That is the ultimate turnaround. But his death wasn't just for himself. His victory was to be shared with people like my mum who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, who trust Jesus are Christians, forgiven people, right with God. Whatever we have to face in this life, God will turn it around so you can be confident, even through tears at times, and praise. So what do you sing when the world's gone mad? Well, you do sing, praise the Lord. Not because everything is enjoyable, but because he is in control and he is good and because you're being humble and confident. Oh, just one final thing though as we finish, and it's this. Make sure you know who you're singing about. I don't know if you noticed, but all the way through, the psalmist assumes that you're on the inside. Did you notice that? Just look at verse 1. Praise... O servants of the Lord. And verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? It's implied in the name that's used for God, the Lord, or sometimes translated Yahweh. It's the name that God used to make himself known personally to people who started on a relationship with him. And people sometimes think, is God really worth bothering about? Is he worthy of praise? The Bible says God deserves our praise. Because he's in control and he is good. The Bible is clear with the answer to that question. However, the slightly more alarming questions are really, will he want you? And how can you get to know him? 
I guess the answer is, is given in those words of Jesus again in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, if you're not a Christian tonight, then your life can be turned around. And getting to know God is open to you if you'll turn from rejecting him and put your trust in Jesus. The Bible's terminology for that is repentance and faith. Accepting Jesus' death in your place is the way that you're brought back into a relationship with this good and loving King. If that's something you'd like to do, then then do grab me at the end or, or talk to a Christian friend that you've come with. And people who do that begin to understand that God is to be praised anytime, any place, anywhere. And they look forward to the day when God will sort out all the mess of this life, or once and for all. Let's pray together.